This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. We're glad that he's with us. Sitting across from is the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist. The lead sports columnist in the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top three sports columnists in the state of Tennessee, barely. Tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. It's an- another hump day in Memphis, right? Hump day. Hump day. Well, this is this has been a true. Well, do you count like last night and Wednesday with and tonight, obviously, with with baseball playoffs going on? Did our do we even have a, a sports hiatus this week, or do you not even consider that? That's the that's the big question. Is 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 baseball enough to go? You know what? Like we're we're pulling a we're pulling an all weeker. You know, instead of an all nighter, an all weeker with sports. There's no break. Or is um, baseball? It's weird to, for me to say this because, like, I was like a huge baseball nut growing up, and then like it just feels like my fandom, my my fandom for like baseball at large is like one of the things that I feel like has suffered since I became like a reporter and have had to focus in on whatever's going. You know, like here in Memphis, I focus in on you know basketball and football, and you know, I, I don't know. It, it, I, so Since I became a reporter and I've covered, I haven't, I've never covered Major League Baseball. Like it feels like that suffered more than anything for me. Is my my not my like fandom for like the Nats or the Orioles when I was younger. Like it's just the by and large just baseball in general. So there's a couple of things. Number one, I don't think that it's helped when I can name the number of good playoff games that I've seen so far this year. I do find myself. When the when the major league playoffs are going on during the week, I'm way more into it. It's a lot easier. I feel like it gets lost in the wash of football. But the thing that you when you were talking there, it it got me thinking. One of the first sports that you were really able to watch regularly all of the games. So I have a theory that sports get even though it's great for us, for sports fans, if you want to watch everything, you can watch everything. I think it loses a little mystique when you can just watch everything. And I think baseball, because it's fairly repetitive, it kind of becomes monotonous, particularly regular season baseball. And then the fact that we've had, I mean, for the most part, what? How many series have we had a series? We didn't have a DS go five games, correct? Uh, Astros one in four, Phillies one in four. Maybe that's part of it. Is D-backs like there, there one hasn't in really three. there hasn't been a truly com- there's been some compelling moments, but not really a compelling game or a compelling series. The best yet. the best game was Game Two of the NLDS Braves, Braves Phillies. Yes, and that was an awesome playoff game. Mm-hmm. Like that had everything, but then they just turned right back around and they went to Philly and and got blown out, and. Game one of Astros, game one of Astros Rangers was fairly compelling, but it was a two to nothing game. But I mean that was still fairly compelling. And then even though the Astros made the comeback in game two, the fact that they fell behind early, it just kind of felt over, and it was like an anticlimactic. I do think that has hurt to a certain degree. I also don't, I don't think it helps baseball that 
the Yankees really haven't been the villain anymore. Like, I think baseball is very dependent on you need something to root against. And even though the Dodgers have actually kind of started operating like the the villainous Yankees that we think of, it's kind of tough to work up the same hatred for the Dodgers. Yeah. And and that's I don't even say that because like I went to Dodgers games. I do and I think like that's it. right. Like, I think like not having New York or Boston or or Chicago involved in these playoffs has hurt. Those are all huge baseball cities. But I also it's not even just the playoffs in general. Like the There's, Yankees bought that one title in 09, whatever you know the A Rod 09 title. Mm-hmm. But really, ever since that, they've always been. Like, they haven't sucked really until this year. But they've largely just been irrelevant. Like, you don't really take them that seriously. And I think baseball needs, you need that existential threat. And I don't feel like, and maybe the Astros have have kind of taken that mantle of the team that everyone can root against. But there's still kind of an element of, even though you know the Astros are good, like you, you see the talent, it's kind of tough to work up. You know, na- nationwide, I feel like it's tough to work up the the everyone hates the Astros because everyone kind of agrees, but at the same time, like, there's not... I think you almost need... You need that Yankees element. Like, Yankees with... Before they turned Roman Reigns heel, when Roman was mm-hmm. the baby face, and yeah. everyone's just like, the guy's yeah. in a freaking bulletproof vest. Yeah. He's not a great talker. Like, come on. Turn him heel. And it's like, turn him heel. It's like, wow, this has been one of the best runs that we've seen in in decades like it's an unbelievable run but you need kind of that original roman element of like you know or the cena let's go cena cena sucks like you mm-hmm. need the yankees have that the yeah. yankees whereas the astros just have astros fans like and it's a small like it's confined to houston or the surrounding area i will say this as a segue into what we're going to talk about to start today's show feels like john morant's got some of that going for him these days a lot of people who love him a lot of people who want to hate him um Feels like he's, you know, he's maneuvered himself into that, unfortunately. I don't think he certainly didn't do it intentionally, and I don't know if it's like the spot any anyone necessarily wants him to be, but it feels like that's kind of what he's becoming to a lot of sports fans. Like he's kind of polarizing. Yeah, it's interesting because my first thought when you said that is, well, outside of here, where's his support? But then you look at the detail in the story, the Wall Street Journal reporting like, as his soon shoes as his are, shoe went on no. sale, like it was blown no, out. There's plenty. Like, there's. I think. There, I think he. I is, think you're probably right. He's in that zone. Well, we're going to start. There's obviously there. The big uh, story in Memphis is the story ESPN dropped this morning on John Morant. We'll get into it in a second. In buy, sell, shirt, or go to Reddit. Two forty or so. Uh, David Cobb from CBS Sports will join us. We'll talk college football with him. Uh, Three o'clock or so. We will get into the list, and then uh, maybe we'll get some thoughts. Uh, I believe they've just wrapped up practice down at FedEx Forum, um, and so we'll recap any uh, anything that the players or Taylor Jenkins said uh, in the aftermath of this ESPN story. But let's get into it right now. Let's play some buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. It's that time on 92.9's Giannato and Jeffrey show, where we either buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. All right, Jeffrey. So our first uh, buy, sell, shorter, go to Reddit is going to revolve around the story ESPN uh, dropped. Tim McMahon and Baxter Holmes uh, wrote an ext- a lengthy, extensive piece um, about uh, John Morant. It's uh, various different, different uh, headlines include career on the brink, uh, the alligators got him, the transformation and troubles of John Morant, uh, also, inside John Morant's 18-month downfall, uh, all different various like subheads and headlines to this story, um, again, that Baxter Holmes and Tim McMahon produced. Um, and uh, some new stuff in there. Um, nothing like revelatory. Like, there's no new in- – there's not like some new incident involving Ja. Um, there's it, – it's, it's more – it felt like more details and, I guess, commentary – on a lot of the stuff we've ar- we already knew, right? Yeah, I wouldn't even necessarily say like there was anything like truly newsy. And I, I'm not. I don't want this to come across that I'm 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 ripping the the 
writing because I thought I actually thought it was a great read in terms of like how it was written, whatnot. Like, well, it wasn't if it wasn't a great read in terms of like it, it like it just it does I, paint I could, a picture of. Well, like, I'll say I could have scenes set in my head, like, yeah. like whatnot. Um, no, it wasn't a fun read, but yeah, I'm talking about yeah. like, like read, if you're if you're thinking about it from the terms of John Moran, it was right, not a good no, no, read. No, I'm not saying that, <laughs> but I'm talking like if you had no skin in the game and yeah, you were just yeah, reading yeah, it, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was an easy read. Would yeah. you agree? No, yeah, it's you always strive for it. It was a long piece that didn't feel as Correct. long as exactly. It was. Like I, yeah. I, I, you sent it to me at like seven or eight fifteen, and like I had it read essentially once Jeff show ended or started. Um, the thing that. It just felt like I said it this morning, and I I feel like this. In twenty years, if somebody like wants to look up this whole era of like this timeline of Jaws of Jaws career, mm-hmm. this feels like the one compiled document that like yeah. you could use as the basis of your like you could read that and you get a pretty good idea. Yeah, and you don't have to go read well, a bunch of other stories. And and the thing I think some. Grizzlies fans I've seen on social media misconstruing. This was not written for them. This was written for like everyone outside of Memphis. You know, who like don't, you know, like it wasn't meant for Grizzlies fans who know like all the little details already. I also think, and you and I, you and I have mentioned this at multiple times over the summer. Oftentimes when you are in the middle of something, and it's not as if fans are going through the same thing Jaws going through. But fans have lived it in real time. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you're going through it on a daily basis, there's a numbing of perspective. The reality is one of the NBA's, Nike's only Gen Z athlete mm-hmm. that they've signed, or the NBA's only Gen Z athlete that they've signed, is suspended to start the season for 25 games. Mm-hmm. That is a significant moment in time. Like in terms of telling the NBA story, that is a significant detail. Yeah. No, and and well, let's get into the buy sell sugar right and I'll and I'll offer some critiques on what I've seen out there in the in the air, if you will, in reaction to this. But I, I guess let's go through real quick. Um I'm getting a report. We'll we'll talk about it more next hour, but uh, apparently uh Taylor Jenkins uh told the media just now he has addressed he addre- they addressed the story at practice today. Like he you know, they it was meant. It was brought up, and then uh, we'll get it. We'll get some more quotes from the players in the aftermath uh, of that. But story starts with the setting the scene in great detail from that flight to the Cleveland All Star Game in 2022. I think technically it was a 2021. Was, was the 2021 oh, 2022 right. 20, 20, season? Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yes, um, it was February of 22. Yes, and. Um, you know, we we all saw that Instagram live video with him drinking the tequila, and in the moment, it sat, it looked like a lot of fun and a guy celebrating a, you know, seminal achievement in his career. You know, in retrospect, it's it is it does look like this was our first kind of public glimpse at a you know what became a unfortunate pattern for him in terms of. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I remember in real time thinking, who cares. Yeah, it's you know. Like, I, no, like, I remember. I think we talked like, about it on the show. I was like, that, "This is a significant achievement for him in his career." So he got drunk on the plane flight. Right. So he partied and got drunk on the plane flight to Cleveland. And to be fair, one of the one of the good details I thought about all of that was he rents Sprinter vans. He's not driving. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. he's getting he's he's taking care of that. Yeah. I remember thinking, even amongst Grizzlies fans, that were like. I don't know about this. Yeah. I wonder if a lot of those people were the people that were maybe aware that, like, this isn't a new thing. Yeah. I well, think that's a legitimate it question. Paint, it paints that as kind of the the moment in time where this got, this went off the rails. They so lost to speak. the, he lost the plot. Yeah. Um, the only, the, 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 I think the most interesting things, not interesting, the most notable things in this, I guess, are one, it quotes, Memphis business owners, I guess, talking about basically how Ja acted before, you know, when he first got to Memphis and how he started acting as he became a superstar, essentially, right? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. And it granted them an anonymity, which I said with Jason and John, I think Jeff said it. I think Jason, I think as an, 
as someone who is an editor at the Commercial Appeal, like I don't think I would have allowed business owners to speak anonymously like that in a story, like bashing Ja. I don't think that's fairness. Yeah, but I also think in fairness, like I'm not criticizing. A- I'm not criticizing the reporting of of Baxter and Tim. I also think it's where ESPN. Mm-hmm. Kind of blurs the line between: Is it a journalistic endeavor? Is it an entertainment product? Is yeah. it a PR product? Is it a yeah. marketing are they, firm? Are they elite acting as a league partner, or are they not? You know, yeah, it's it's diff- it, it's the it, like, slippery slope that I, they like, that I, they traverse. And I also understand like this is not apples to apples, but at the same time, like fundamentally in our country, the single greatest piece of investigative journalism reporting. Mm-hmm. Woodward and Bernstein, they used anonymous sources. No, I get like, it. I, For a story like that, is this a story that deserves anonymity like that? I, I personally don't think so. I agree with you. When it involves, like, you know, national security, stuff like that, or, like, a you know, the president committing a crime, I, that's what anonymous sources are intended for. It is not intended for someone to take shots at someone and cover, you know, and be able to cover their tracks I mean, you, without, without putting their name did, to it. I will say this. And I know he since deleted the post. I did tip my cap to Billy Richmond. I was like, at least when he went off on Penny, yeah, yeah. it was there was no questioning who it was. Yes. It was his thoughts, and it, it, he put his name. Yeah, on. I just I, that that to me was the only part of the piece where I was like, eh, I wouldn't have, I, I that wouldn't have passed muster with me. But uh, you know, at the same time, I will th- say though, like, if you're going, like, if you're gonna, like. A business owner can't put his name on it. Like I do, I get it. Or no, her no, no, name no. on it. I like, understand why the business owner asked for why these business owners asked for anonymity. What I don't understand is why ESPN ran with the, the right. used the quotes with it. You know, like, sub- it's more on to well, me. It's more on that. There's, than, there's a couple of thoughts here. Number one, how big's the editorial staff anymore? I I'll say this is bigger than our editorial staff. That is true, <laughs> but there is also a difference to me of of like ESPN isn't trying to sell subscriptions to the Memphis market. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a, no, there's and, and that's a key point. Like, this is not intended for Memphis. This is intended for a national audience. It's a national audience, and it's intended to be exactly what it, it has been. It is a conversation starter. Yes. Um, so there's that. There's the Memphis business owners kind of detailing how Ja changed, right? That's kind of a key part of the story. Yes. Another key part is... Again, anonymous team sources, not league sources, team sources, specifically one detailing a meeting last February in the aftermath of that incident at FedEx Forum with the Pacers, the the parking lot incident where, you know, the Pacers alleged Jaws associates, you know, may have pointed a gun at them. The NBA said they could not corroborate that. And uh, but in the aftermath of that, team sources said uh, told them that there was a meeting in a hotel room between Zach Kleiman, Taylor Jenkins, and John Morant, um, in which they told him their message, according to one team insider, was simple. You, and this was not in quotes. You're effing up. Um, and then um, it claims that Ja was dismissive of what they said a claim that his agent, one of the few on the record quote, you know, the one, the pretty much the only quote from the Grizzly slash Jaw side in this story was from Jim Tanner, a statement from Jim Tanner, his agent, in which he denied that John Morant was dismissive, ever dismissive of what the Grizzlies were talking about with him. Um, so there's that. Um, I mean, there is also the consider the source there. Yes, I but, mean it's his. It's literally his agent. It's the no, person no. that. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying you have to believe him, but I'm just saying what he said. Yeah. Um, you know, it's up to you to decide who you believe. But like that's right. That that's pretty much the main. The two main things that are really. Um, oh, and then you also had a team source call out T Morant and said. Quote, T has been a drive, major driving force in all of this. He never made the NBA, but this was his chance to live like he's an NBA superstar. That's been a problem from the beginning. So you also had that. So you had Team Source saying Ja was dismissive of what the Grizzlies said to him last February. Team Source calling out Team Morant for essentially being an enabler and a pr- part of the problem. And 
anonymous Memphis business owners kind of detailing how Ja went from like this nice, humble, you know, guy on the Grizzlies to like a, yeah, they a, had a difficult to deal with. They had everything from draft scouts saying literally he had no red flags. Mm-hmm. Like he's like I, I dug, I tried to find. You had coaches from Murray State saying never had a problem with him. Like I think the like the the biggest thing that was like criticism was like he was a little goofy at times, but like mm-hmm. that was like otherwise like it, it was completely. It was it was he was great to deal with. I think on a lower level than the things that you've mentioned, I'd also include that there are more. I always take notice when I read stories and Devonte Pack's name is mentioned because mm-hmm. it feels like at times, I don't know whether it's, I don't know whether it's maybe implicitly the Grizzlies would like that name to be included, whatnot. It oftentimes feels like. Even if it's a well, little bit of a like roundabout way, though, he's ever present. I mean, in I, and life. I, I, but it feels like that they stick things in there. Like, you know, they mentioned during that plane flight the promoting of Devante's company mm-hmm. um, and events. It, I would, I would say that they've also like. I think that there is the intent to include that Devonte Pack is a, another bad influence. Um, and then there, there was this last team source. Team sources said the organization remains concerned about Morant's lifestyle. So here's the buy, sell, shorter, go to Reddit based on that. Buy, sell, shorter, go to Reddit, Jeffrey. This story will cause problems for the Grizzlies. I think I'm going to buy this. Mm. I do think it is a... And I, I'm not. I'm also not even saying I disagree with this. Is probably the appropriate move by Taylor Jenkins, but the fact that he had to address it today, yeah, I do think that that at least that at least to me implies. And by address it, he didn't just address it when reporters asked. No, no, no. no. What he, it was with his what team. The, I don't care what he does. Yeah, with he addressed reporters. it in pra- like at right. practice, whatever. Whether it was again, he had a converse. There was some sort of conversation with the team about it. Right, and to me, whether or not it is a small likelihood whether or not it's a big likelihood or somewhere in between, that suggests to me that there is at least a little bit of concern that if you don't address it, that it could become a problem. Would you agree? Am I, am I reaching there? I'll say this. It sure seems like Taylor Jenkins thinks Correct. it could that's potentially what I'm saying. be that, a problem. Yeah. That's, that that yeah. is indeed the case. Yeah. Now, I would also argue, well done, Taylor Jenkins. Like, Get out in front. Even, even if you're a little – like, even if you think, like, it's probably nothing. It's going to blow over. Go ahead and make sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you buy some insurance. Go ahead. Go ahead and make sure. And I think that is indeed the case. The other reason, though, why I buy it is, I don't necessarily know if you could tell me the only Memphis Grizzly that was truly bothered by this story was John ja Morant. Because you could tell me where the other guys, I mean, in fairness, if it's not really news to us, I find it highly unlikely that anything that, if the guys read it today, that anything that they read would have been news to them. They've lived it. <laughs> like, they they know all of it. Yeah. It also did not feel to me like a ton of their dirty laundry got aired out. Mm-mm. Well, the one thing that I've but, taken note of through all this, while yes, we've gotten a lot of like, jo- you know, we've gotten a lot of information, whether it's through police reports or whatever, reporting about Jaws' missteps, you know, whether it was the the basketball game or the 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 foot what what, what was the story the Footlocker Footlocker was it Footlocker or was foot? it finish line finish line the finish line incident at the mall or um the the Pacers thing or the Instagram videos like. We've gotten a lot of details about like Jaws stuff, but like other than the only other, the only internal like behind the scenes discussion that I saw get out through all of this over the last however long it's been was I believe it was Shams who reported at one point like Stephen Ad they had a conversation in the locker room where Stephen Adams taking the road more seriously or something yeah, along those lines and it was like directed everyone in the room knew it was directed at Jaw even though he was saying it to everyone. That was like the only, before this, that was the only thing like internally it felt like that had leaked out. Yeah. That I can recall. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sell this, but with a little, 
little little legal jargon. Okay, son of a lawyer. This story. If it's just this story, I don't think this story will cause problems long term. If there's more stories to come, like you know, like if this is the start of like in you know, like if we get more team sources stories after this, that's when it becomes a problem. Well, that's actually why I'm buying it because you think there's more to come. The I know you would never get an honest answer publicly. Mm-hmm. The most important question that I have from all of this, do Taylor Jenkins and Zach Kleiman know who the team sources are? If the answer is yes, I find that interesting. And I'm not buying that this is some like, I know Tim McMahon. I know Baxter Holmes. I do not believe they are citing, like, peons on the staff. Okay? Like... This, I don't also. I also don't think it's Zach Kleiman or Taylor Jenkins, but I think it is people who are. I don't doubt that they've. That I don't doubt that there's someone or one or two people within that organization who are meaningful people who may have said some stuff to them. I don't yes, think they I, would run with it if it wasn't meaningful no, people I, within the organization. With all due respect to the the fine people that work security there or that are managers there yeah. that are that are around the team. To a degree that they would know and see stuff. Mm-hmm. I find it unlikely that they would run with that. that. It's them. If if they were running well, with it, they were confirming it with someone well, who was higher up. A. Typically, those people don't talk a lot. No, because they lose their. Well, shit. let me phrase it. <laughs> they don't talk a lot to reporters. Yeah, and if they do talk a lot, it's to trusted people that they're not worried about it. But you're right. If they do talk, oftentimes that's not a long. That's not a way to stay in, employed in that gig. Yeah. I would also add. I I do think that they, they being Tim and Baxter, I do think that they actually did a decent job of showing there was differing opinions. Yeah. Like, yeah. they did have some people that felt very strongly that this was a problem. There were others that were like, what are you going to do, man? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, well, and I'll say this. You know, it, it, this story will cause problems for the Grizzlies. I'll tell you this. would have caused more problems if it came out like, December 18th, right before he was coming back. The fact that it came out today, a week before the season starts, and a full two months before he can even return, I think makes it hit a lot easier, if you will, than if it was right before he returned. And again, I'm not saying that this causes problems to a degree that like you cannot get over them, you can't get past them. I mean, them. the reality is the fear with these team sources and the Memphis business owners is that Ja takes this as, oh, well, now I'm being attacked by... The well, team, I got, people I got, internally I got, in the city, and you know, it's and, sowing distrust. And yeah. when you're when you're all, it all leads back to like this the 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 constant fear of we have this superstar, and what if he leaves? What if he decides he wants to be traded or leave? And again, that's a that's a possible outcome. Mm-hmm. I would also tell this to Ja, like, buddy, it's only going to be worse in other markets. Yeah, unless you're going like Salt Lake City. Yeah, but I'm saying like the, the <laughs> I mean, when's the last time a free agent chose the Jazz? Like yeah. free no, agents choose LA, yeah. they choose Miami, they choose New- some Bro- of what? Brooklyn. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> Not they, New York. they did Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, no I guess you can make the name. argument Jalen Brunson is like his dad had to be like in the front office for that to occur. Yeah. Um but like they choose hyper competitive media markets. Mm-hmm. And like that's just not the case here. Like it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest reason, though, why I really do like believe that this can cause problems is I find it highly unlikely that Ja just shrugged this off. Yeah. Um, it's gonna be. It's 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 a really inter- it's interesting. But I I do push back. I've seen from and you know it, it looks like from. You know what the players and and Taylor Jenkins have said today. It's kind of like you know why are we why one of the the talking points is like why are we dredging all of this back up? And it's just like I mean it's a week before the season, and my personal belief is like this is gonna keep like if you're bothered by it right now, it's gonna it's gonna keep coming up all season whether this is going great or not. If it's going poorly, everyone's gonna point back to all of this. If it's going great, everyone's going to point back to it as like a redemption story. You know what I mean? Like, it's going, this suspension and what caused it. And I have a column up at commercialpeel.com right now about this. 
Like, this is going to be ever-present this season. This is part of the story of this season. Frankly, it's forever a part of the story of John Morant, however this turns out. Yeah, either this was the beginning of, either this was the beginning of, like, a troubling pattern Mm -hmm. that would inevitably lead to maybe a career that could have, what could have been. Yeah. Or this is the, this is the moment where Ja Morant said, I'm becoming a professional basketball player. Or whatever. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? like a, a, yes, it's the it's tragic or redemptive. It's something, but it's this is part of it. And it's like, what, well, why are they writing about it? Well, it's a week before the season starts. That's why they're writing about it. And then uh, the the other part of this that's just, uh, you know, and like, again, I, I disagree with the fact that they included the Memphis business owner stuff. Like, I thought that was unnecessary, and I, I don't know if I would have done it, but I, I don't question the, like, journalistic value of you know writing a story like that there were some new details in here um and would you have been okay with rather than anonymously quoting mm-hmm. if they would have used it as details like according to like if, business if, owners like to John me, Morant, if you want an anonymous business owner giving an an, an a, a specific example of when jo, an incident where John Morant you know treated the business poorly then yeah, go ahead and grant him anonymity, but him or her. But I mean, like, kind of did like they didn't. They didn't talk about the police report, but I mean, they they did cite specific examples. I mean, up to the point in which it was talking about how he dresses and how no, he no, no, started no, no. wearing like, there was the details about the and, fight with the guy and his wife. Yeah, no, I, I yes. So, so maybe some of it was okay, but like a lot of it was like Memphis business owners like giving their opinions on John Morant. And it's just like, I don't know if I grant anonymity I guess the biggest reason, though, why I did not have a problem with the final quote, the biggest reason that I did not have a problem with it is behind the scenes, you have had multiple people point out Ja is trying to be whatever, block boy NBA or NBA block boy. They get, I know there's young a trade. Young, young boy. boy, whatever. The, there's a NBA trademark. There's a trademark issue there. Yeah. The NBA, turns out the NBA is not super keen on letting letting them letting him grift off their name. But like that's been a common refrain. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that was a way to get that in the story. Yeah, I guess. I just I, I like I said, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have done it that way. But uh, all in all, it's you know, like I said, it's better now than two months from now. Like to be quite honest yeah, with you. I mean, honestly, and here's 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 I'm going to prepare you for this. Like when we get around December fifteenth, December you know December nineteenth is the day he can come back. Like there's going to be more of these. There's going to be more of them. You know what it kind of feels like right now. To bring this back to college football because we're going to get to Cobb here in just a second. I know this is not a hyper specific example for for our audience, but Mark will understand this. You know how Iowa fans are getting super sensitive about the Brian Ferentz drive to 325 points. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's not funny. It's not funny. It's like, well, first off, yes, it is. Secondly, you're the ones that made the contract that he has to, like you publicly announced, he has to get to 325 points. But you know how Iowa fans are feeling very yeah. sensitive about that? Mm-hmm. It does feel like Grizzlies fans are doing the, listen, y'all, this, this, is, this is the reality. And the mm-hmm. sooner you just understand, like, this is how it is, Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a lot easier. Just accept that this is going to be part of the conversation. This is going to frame the whole season. How this is going to this this version of the Grizzlies, like this group we've been this promising group that we've been so excited about the last couple of years. Ja, Dez, Jaron, now Marcus Smart. Like this is going this how they deal. I'm also I'll say this though. I'm also pushing back. I'm pushing back on the number of people that feel that way. I think that is a number very, of people that feel what way the. I've, I've oh, come the social to, media folks. Yeah, yeah. I've come and to it's the, gotten worse. Well, now, and I've, since, come to the, I've come to the conclusion part of it is a attempt. Listen, no one's better at it than you. But some of it is an attempt to get the John Morant like. Yeah, the for, the for, the for you yeah. era of X is is awful. It's awful. I mean, I think you can basically say since <laughs> the purchase, this hasn't exactly been the the yeah, best time. But I. I think I think it'll be okay. I think if it's just, if th- if it's this story, like if we're going specifically, this story will cause problem for the Grizzlies. I'm gonna. I, I don't think it will. I, I do wonder. I think it's entirely dependent on Ja. 
And then that, that's actually the, that is the biggest struggle that I've had the mm-hmm. last six months. Mm-hmm. I do think to a certain degree, he needed to be punished for being an idiot. Mm-hmm. On the other level, it's like, in the end, he is guilty of going live. Well, that, that's because it's interesting you bring that up. Because, like, one of the points people are making is like, well, where's the big expose on Kevin Porter Jr. or Miles Bridges who have committed actual or have been accused of actual crimes? Well, here? First off, they just they just traded Porter to cut him. Yes. Well, what I would say is those guys aren't superstars. Like, if anything, the fact that they wrote this is kind of another, yet another, It's again, it's an unfortunate sign. It's not the sign you want as a fan, but it is a sign that Jaws is a superstar. Like, they do this for superstars. They do not do this for Miles Bridges. Well, and, like, this is also the other side of it. The NBA leans into the, the dramatic element. Yes. There's a reason why the Grizzlies, what, they're on, in the first 25 games they're on national TV once, mm-hmm. and then what is it, 16 once he comes back, there's a reason, 13, why, there's a reason why his first game is on national Correct. TV against Zion Correct. in New Orleans. Correct. Like, it's, it is what it is. You know, I, I would just say this, was, this is not the first. Excuse me. This may have been the first of the year of these types of stories. Don't feel like it's going to be the last. I agree. When we come back, we'll talk to David Cobb. We'll switch Switch course and talk a little college football with him next. You're listening to Giannotto and Jeffrey on 92. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on podcasts whatever you love hear it right here on TuneIn. go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening you could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey 9fm espn responsibly 21 Giannato and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network, only from Xfinity. The Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. David Cobb is, of course, a college basketball and football writer for CBS Sports. He's on Twitter on X at David W. Cobb. Cobb, you got any feel on the Vols of Bama this week? I, I do. I do, Jeffrey. I'm surprisingly bullish on Tennessee's chances on the road in a place where they've not won since 2003. And we can get into it a little more, but the deeper you get into Alabama, the more apparent it is that they really only have one certified strength, and that's the, uh, the uh, Jalen Milrow deep ball. Offensively, which, offensively. That defense is, that defense is, oh yeah, is yeah. awesome. They're great at getting into the backfield and, and pressuring opposing quarterbacks, but that's also a strength of Tennessee. So if you're looking for Alabama's edge or where they thrive in this particular matchup, clearly Milrow is much better at throwing the, the deep ball than, than Joe Milton. He's got his own flaws, but I, I think it's a very even matchup. Slight edge straight up to the Crimson Tide because of the home field advantage, but I don't know if I, if I like Alabama against a nine-and-a-half-point spread. Well, that's kind of like, that's the other thing. It's like, I'm trying to figure out, like, is Alabama just mispriced? Because, you know, I mean, they covered against Middle, they covered against Ole Miss, and then they covered against A&M. But really, like, when they've been big favorites, like, they really haven't met the expectations. I feel like we keep waiting for that offense to kind of hit a gear, and maybe at a certain point, they just don't have a gear. The question, though, that I was trying to think in my mind, 
I know Florida, what was it, 30, what did Florida put up on them, 31? Yeah, Florida played the, the best half of football Florida could possibly play against Tennessee. And of that 31, what, six came in the second half? Now, granted, I know they were sitting on a big lead, but I was trying to also think about that 31. How much of that 31 was field position aided? It just felt like, it felt like so much of that was actually Tennessee's offense putting the defense in bad spots. I don't, has anyone really gotten this Tennessee defense yet? No. In fact, uh, the average opponent starting field position against Tennessee is, is pretty poor, and that's in spite of, of the self-inflicted wounds that Tennessee suffered against Florida. So, yeah, Tennessee, uh, the defense, it, it was striking being there on Saturday and seeing them win a game in that fashion. Now let's not pretend like Texas A&M with hobbled Max Johnson in a bad offensive line is – some sort of a juggernaut, but nonetheless, Tennessee's defense wanted that football game, and I just don't look at Alabama's offense and see a group that's going to go out there and score more than 30 points at the most in this game. I mean, the the, the difference in last year's Tennessee-Alabama matchup versus this year's uh, is just that's, stunning. I was having a – Jeff, we've got a uh, – Chad Brown's going to be on Jeff's show tomorrow, and Chad's going to be on the call, and – like I was writing out, you know, I was writing out topics for Jeff that he should ask, and my first thought was, uh, "Have we ever, in back-to-back years, seen a game that I'm expecting to be the complete polar opposite? Quite like last year's game, which was just an offensive explosion, one of the most fun games, you know, of the last decade, if not more. Versus this, just feels like it's just going to be like. Doesn't this feel like it's going to be the same game that Tennessee played against A and M, and that? Alabama played against a which were kind of slogs and kind of gross. Exactly right. And so the, the point total right now is set at 48.5. That is less than what the losing team in last year's game scored. I mean, Alabama had 49 points in defeat last season at Neyland Stadium in a regulation game, mind you, didn't go to overtime. And now we've got a, a point total for the game this year set at 48.5. So it's a, a striking difference. I mean, it's all attributable to the – departures of Bryce Young and the departure of Hendon Hooker. I mean, you look no further sure. than, than the quarterback play to answer you why that's the case. And so when I see that nine and a half and I see a game that's going to be a defensive struggle, and you mentioned the common opponent there in Texas A&M, both Tennessee and Alabama beat Texas A&M in similar types of games. To me, it feels like, like a coin flip or, or like a, a, a toss-up. And, you know, I guess Alabama gets the benefit of the doubt. Again, home field advantage, Nick Saban and all that sort of stuff, you know, 20-year losing streak for Tennessee at Bryant-Denny, but I think there's a path to victory here for, for Tennessee uh, because of how good their run game has been, and at some point, at some point, they're going to hit a deep shot. I don't know when, I don't know against who, uh, but it's hard for me to believe that this offense will continue to struggle throwing the football downfield as much as it has in the first half of this year. Yeah, I think the two big questions for me are Will Tennessee be able to block Alabama's front? Because last year I thought they did a pretty good job. Now, granted, they they're missing, you know, two NFL linemen from that team. But Tennessee's offensive line has gotten healthier and they've looked a lot better recently. But are they going to be able to block that front? And then on the other side, is Tennessee going to be able to get home on Milrow? Because if if they can, like Milrow's best. Best throwing is the deep ball. That takes time. But if T- Tennessee, which has been an extremely good blitzing team this year, like if they can get home on him, I, I think that's a path. Like, am I missing? Am I missing another element in your mind? Yeah, I think the the last element would be Jalen Milrow's legs, because when Tennessee gets into the backfield against Max Johnson last week, Max Johnson sits in the pocket like a like a duck and has nowhere to go. And then the difference with Jalen Milrow is obviously the ability to run and not just run my man lowers his shoulder and lays the boom almost like a kj jefferson type in the way he runs the football which is much different than the way bryce young approached uh scramble situations last season i mean bryce young rarely if ever ran the football uh he certainly did not prefer to do that and now we got jalen milrow out here who's more than willing to take off uh with his legs and make a play in that element of the game and I don't know that Tennessee's really had to face a quarterback like that. I mean Spencer Rattler tried his best, uh, but I think Milrow's a bit more dynamic in that way. And that, that could definitely get Tennessee some problems. No, I I 
again, it's it's going to be a very different game than last year, but I, I am very excited to watch this game. All right, we had Oregon-Washington last week. It now feels like this week's game where we kind of decide, all right, who's who's a for-sure playoff contender? I guess really it even goes back two weeks. We had Oklahoma-Texas the week prior. Last week we have Oregon-Washington. This week we've got Penn State-Ohio State. When I look at this game, Cobb, I think I'm doing an exact repeat of last year where I said basically for the entire month of November, I don't care what the line is, I'm taking Michigan against Ohio State. And then the line came out, and I was like, well, that's begging me to take Ohio State, and I took Ohio State. I felt like for the last three weeks that I want Penn State in this matchup, and this line is screaming to me, I'm taking Ohio State. I'm, I'm on the Penn State side of it. I think I like the Nittany Lions straight up. Like, I just am that much of a non-believer in Ohio State because, one, the quarterback drop-off is, is significant there as well from C.J. Stroud to Kyle McCord. And then, two, they're just not as tough as Ryan Day wants to pretend that they are. I mean, they've got a battle for every single yard. In I would, I would, here's where I would argue with you, though. I agree on offense. I think their defense is kind of salty. Oh, yeah, it's better. It's but better I do agree with defense. you on offense. They're just, they're, no, they, they're, just, they're, not, they're not the team that he's trying to pretend they are. Right, and Penn, State, Penn State is filthy defensively. I mean, they are really good uh, from the front all the way to the back side. Like, they are, they are elite defensively. I think as good or better than Ohio State defensively, sniffing Michigan in terms of the, the talent and the overall uh, competency defensively. Where I, where I struggle in this game is trusting Penn State to put up more than three offensive touchdowns because – as good as Drew Aller has been in protecting the football and just doing what's been required to win games against an easy schedule, we've not seen Drew Aller go out there and, and put a team on his back and win a close game. We've actually seen Kyle McCord do that this season. I mean, the game-winning drive against Notre Dame, like, yeah, they, they uh, only maybe get that last yard because Notre Dame has only 10 players on the field. But to even get to the one-yard line in that situation against Notre Dame's defense requires some pretty clutch quarterback play. From Kyle McCord, so you know he, he's no C.J. Stroud, but at the same time, uh, he's proven that he can go win a game in a, in a tight situation against a good team. And I just don't know that we've seen that from Drew Aller. That's kind of how I feel. It's like every time I watch Penn State play, I'm impressed with them physically, but I've not been impressed with Aylers. Yeah, and, and the uh, the receiving core for Penn State is not. Yeah, it, it feels like they have like a. Bu- like, of their best receiving cores, it feels like their number ones would have been, like, number twos on those teams. Yeah, like, uh, years past, they had uh, Jahan Dodson, yeah. and, you know, he was out. If they had Jahan Dodson, right, like, I might be taking Penn State to reach the playoff, but they don't have a guy like that. I keep waiting for Keandre Lambert-Smith to, to pop. But to your point, he's been their number two or number three guy for the last couple of seasons and hasn't really made that jump like a lot of people expected. But it's just nice to finally see these two teams play somebody because the Big Ten East has just been uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State playing patsy after patsy through the first seven weeks of this season. And it's made it really difficult to parse out not only the Big Ten but the national scene because we've had this log jam at the top where some teams aren't getting their credit merely because these big-name brands are sitting there undefeated in the Big Ten East with no real validation over whether or not they're good. And so you can look at the Ohio State playing Notre Dame game, and maybe that's an exception to some people, but you know, now it's finally time where like, mm-hmm. uh, these, these teams have to, to, to show it or prove it a little bit, and, and I'm excited to see kind of how that plays out. And I just think there's enough uncertainty here to where the assumption that Ohio State rolls is – is misguided. I, I think Penn State's good enough defensively to keep the many lines in this game and maybe get them a straight up dub. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna leave you with this, Cobb. You know how many times Penn State has won in Columbus since joining the Big Ten? <laughs> oh gosh, oh like twice. Twice. <laughs> One of them though was the fickle year. I don't count that. The 2011 year after Tressel had to leave, and it was the year. It was it was the year Brady Hoke beat him at Michigan too. Beat beat Ohio State. So like one year where Ohio State has been like a good to great team since '93, I think it was when Penn State joined the league. That's the that's, that's how many times Penn State's beaten them in in Columbus. Fair point. That is not an easy place to win by any stretch. So I I, I hear you. I hear you there, but. How many times did Bama lost at home before <laughs> before uh, Texas got him this year? 
That's true. That's true. That's true. Things are made made to be uh, are meant to be broken. I guess. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, if you're, I think you have to look at it this way. You can't ignore that that trend. Mm-hmm. But if Penn State is going to have a special season, that usually requires them getting this kind of win. It's that, and it's also like I would say, this certainly this Ohio State team. It's it's not the Luke Fickle team. But it doesn't feel like it's one of those Urban Meyer teams either, you know, like this Ohio State one, or even as good as the past couple Ryan Day teams. It feels like right, and and I would say this is Penn State's most talented team under James Franklin. We'll see if they hit that eleven and two mark, you know, that they've hit, I guess, a time or two under Franklin. But this is his best team. Can they put it all together in the horseshoe? Eh, We'll see. But they also get another chance, right? Like, there's this little round robin thing going on in the Big Ten East where uh, these three all have to play each other. I'm terrified Penn State's going to lose this weekend, but then beat Michigan, and then Michigan's going to beat Ohio State. And then we'll just have. I think, though, but doesn't that. Who would that favor? Ohio State? Because doesn't. They actually have a non conference win that matters. But Penn. No, no, no. well, I'm sure it'll go to whoever the, the committee ranks, which I guess you could make an argument at that point. It probably favors Michigan because they'll get to have made the last impression. But doesn't it then – I think like one of the big tiebreakers is going to be strength of schedule and conference, like wins against that. And mm-hmm. I believe uh, – yeah, I don't know what the well, tiebreaker State, is. Penn State's got Northwestern. Mm. If if there were a Paul Feinbaum show in Big Ten country, yeah. we would be pushing the narrative of three Big Ten East teams making the playoff. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, or we God. can even go back to the good old days. Like everyone likes to make fun of us and, and Feinbaum and the SEC. Let's not forget in 2009, the entire world was declaring the Big 12 South was the greatest division in football. <laughs> and then like they got beaten the they got beaten the postseason. And this was a day and age when everyone played in the postseason. They got beat like a combined like 90 to 15. I saw this complaint from a. It's from Graham Couch, who's like the Lansing State Journal columnist. He's been the columnist for a while now. I heard a. What do you think about the? His complaint is that these games. He doesn't like big noon kickoff because these games should be at night. Like big games. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 